you once again, uh, I just want to extend my utmost appreciation for the opportunity to join you all once again for worship. Uh, you have such a beautiful sanctuary here, but I, and I mean this sincerely, the congregation is what is most beautiful about this place. I appreciate all of you. Uh, I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, I want to invite you to stand if you are able for the reading of the Word of God. I'm just going to read a short passage here in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. We read Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father God, Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we just thank you for every good, true, wonderful spiritual blessing that we have in your name, in the name of your Son, which the Spirit has applied to our own hearts and our own lives. Dear God, let us be forever thankful for your love. Let us be forever thankful for your mercy. Let us never take these things for granted, but let us internalize these truths and, 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 and live our lives in light of them. Dear God, I just pray that you would be glorified in this worship service. I pray that your word would be honored. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take the truths of Scripture and he would deliver them to the people that are here this morning, that he would apply these truths and these principles to their hearts. Christ's name that I pray. Thank you. You may be seated. So I have a um, a younger sister who is she's in middle school right now. And one of the things that you will notice about middle school girls, middle schoolers in general, is that they have this unique ability, and not only the ability, but the desire to argue and debate about literally anything. <laughs> One of my character traits, or maybe you would call it a character defect, is that I am willing and quite enjoy arguing and debating about things, no matter how nonsensical they are. And so my younger sister and I, we have this ongoing thing where her and I debate about whether or not time is a real thing. She has got it into her head, and I don't know where she learned this from, where she read this, but you know, that, that time is not, you know, time's not a real thing, it's just a, a made up construct or something like that. Well, obviously that's ridiculous, and needless to say, she's lost every single one of those debates. But uh, on a more serious note, by the end of this message, I will hope to have given you a very real sense of time, not, you know, the philosophical is time a real thing, but but really the, the delicate nature and the precious aspect of, of time and how it relates to our lives and, and ultimately in a divine sense as well. The great American preacher Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon titled the preciousness of time, and uh, so I decided to title my sermon "Time is Precious" because I think that that's just that's just so true, and I think that this is a topic that is so important for people to get their heads around. And it, it's it's really it's one of those things that everyone's got an opinion on it. We want to make sure that our opinions are biblical, and so as we reflect on this important topic, my encouragement for us all is that we would not look at the subject of time and how we use our time 
in the way that the secular world would have us, but that we would look at this from a Bible, from a biblical perspective. The text that I want to be really looking at today is found in Paul's great epistle to the Ephesian church. The book of Ephesians, really, it's one of my favorite, personal favorite books in the entire Bible. Chapter 1 beautifully describes the eternal spiritual blessings that believers have in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 tells us how God has rescued us from sin, how he has raised us from the dead into spiritual life. And, and, and so in light of that, here in chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is admonishing us to, you know, take this doctrine that he has taught us, take this theology that he has taught us, and, and, and to live it out. You know, the truths that we find in Scripture are not supposed to just stay in our heads. They are supposed to, once they enter into our heads, seep down into our hearts, the heart being the seat of our affections and out of which our desires and our actions flow. And so once divine spiritual truths of Scripture have come into our heads, we pray that the Spirit would apply them to our hearts. Once they are in our hearts, that they influence the way in which we function, in which we live in this world. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing. And so we are to take our doctrine, live it out. So we come down, and in chapter 5, we have this list of these different exhortations, and, and we eventually get to verses 15 and 16, where he says, where Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now these are the verses that I really want to direct your attention towards uh, this morning. And I pray that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that your soul and mine would be tended to as we look at our Bibles together. I pray that you would be encouraged to take your doctrine, to, to, to take your theology, and, and to live it out. And so verse 15 here in chapter 5, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. The very the first thing the apostle instructs us is to look carefully or pay close attention to how we walk. The way in which we walk must be of our utmost attention. Now, most of us realize when we are looking at this verse that the apostle Paul here is not referring to the action of moving your legs back and forth as you move from one place to another. Paul is not telling us to take heed as to whether we walk slow, fast, run, jog, power walk, or anything like that. Uh, the phrase, you walk, in the original language, refers to one's common behavior. The, the, the way you walk refers to the way in which you commonly live out your life, how you commonly Spend your time from, from day to day. And this is this is very important. It's it would be so easy for us to do as the Pharisees who would keep the outside of the cup clean while the inside of the cup remained dirty. It can be so easy to dress ourselves up on, on a Sunday morning and, and come to a service like this and put sort of our Christian game face on and, and that type of thing but so that we look righteous in front of everyone else but that is not what Christian living is about uh, you see when a person is born again when they've been given new life by the spirit of God they, they the whole of their person has changed the Christian man is no longer the same man he was before he was a Christian. The Christian woman is no longer the same woman she was before she was a Christian. They have changed. The Christian no longer does as they did before, uh, living for themselves, enslaved to their passions, enslaved to their desires. But now they are they're living not for themselves, but for God. The Christian life is about living 
for Christ. And I so appreciate the song that we sang here this morning. You know, let me not look to myself, but to worship Christ. And so the thing I want you to think about is when you are living not for yourself, but for God, what that means is every aspect of your life now has meaning, now has purpose, now has value. Are my Sundays important? Well, obviously, absolutely, they're of the utmost importance. But so is every other day of the week, and so is every hour of every day. Martin Lloyd-Jones said the Christian is a man whose every action should be performed in light of his intimate relationship to God. There is nothing unimportant when you're a Christian. There's nothing that's not a big deal. Everything, every, every moment is precious. Every, everything has purpose, has great and tremendous value if you're a Christian. You, you are not living for yourself. You have to understand this. You are living for God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that is a blessing that comes with certain responsibilities to, to use that term. Every moment is precious. Every moment is important. The Christian should strive to live for the glory of God with just as much passion and vigor and energy on a Thursday afternoon as they do on, during a Sunday morning worship service. Therefore, Paul tells us, look carefully then how you walk. How are you? Generally speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis, living your life. Are you living for yourself, my friend, my loved one? Or are you living for God. Paul goes on in this passage describing, you know, practical ways for Christians to do this. And there's one thing he says in particular that I want to highlight for us before he gets to it. He says in the last half of verse 15, he says, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, all throughout scripture, all throughout the Bible, we have countless exhortations towards wisdom. Countless examples of God telling us, really instructing us on how we are to live our lives so as to help us live as wise people in this world. Wisdom is a virtue in Scripture. Wisdom is something to be valued, something to be sought after, something to be pursued. Remembering, of course, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. So what he says in verse 16 which is where I'm going to be spending most of the time for today's message, is something that is reflective of living wisely to the highest degree. You see, the characteristic that Paul wants us to have in verse 16 is, is a characteristic of the wise man, of the wise woman. So Scripture says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16 making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now we need to talk about that phrase, making the best use of the time. In case you were wondering, I know one lady was asking me this morning, I primarily use the English Standard Version as my translation, and most of your modern Bible translations will render the phrase, you know, if you're reading the NIV, the NASB, something like that, it's going to render the phrase Similarly, you know, something like making the best use of time. But perhaps, in my opinion, the English translation that most accurately does justice to Paul's thinking is the old King James, which instead of saying making the best use of the time, the King James says redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Why, why do I... Now, make a comment about that. Why, why is that important? Well, the word that Paul uses is the Greek word exagorazo, which literally means to buy something back. When Christ 
redeems us, he is buying back something that was lost. And, and, and so before I explain why I think this is important, we should also talk about the word that is translated as time. There are a number of different words in the Greek language that, that, that can be rendered as time. Uh, we have at least two that are very commonly found in the New Testament. They have very uh, slightly different meanings. And, and so the first word, which you normally run into, is the word chronos, which would refer simply to the linear passing of time. So think days, hours, minutes, seconds. This is chronos. But the word Paul uses is not chronos, but kairos. What does this have to do with anything? Well, kairos refers to time not merely in terms of how we measure it. Again, think days, hours, minutes. It's not, it's not what Paul's talking about. He's referring to, the word more specifically refers to time with a purpose. Time that is meaningful. It can be translated as season. You know, when a hunter says it's deer season, he's not simply telling you what time of the year it is, but he, he's telling you that it's not legal to go and, and to hunt deer. For me, right now, we're getting into the time of year. For me, it's allergy season. <laughs> now, the point is not what time on the calendar year it is. The point is that this is the time of year with the pollen in the air, and my throat gets all scratchy, my eyes red and puffy, that type of thing. You see, it's time not for time's sake, but time with a particular bent, time with a particular purpose, time that has a special meaning, time that has a special value. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. Now all that to say, the Apostle Paul being carried along by the Holy Spirit is telling us here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16, redeem or buy back our kairos, our time, with a purpose. The reason for this that he gives us is because of the fact that the days are evil. You see, the world in which you and I live, the world in which God has placed us, the one that we inhabit, is immensely, devastatingly corrupted by sin. Of this fact, I am not sure any Christian will dispute. It would not be necessary for me at this moment to right now list off the countless uh, debaucheries that plague our society. You are all very well aware of them, and it is with great groaning that we endure these things, with a great longing for the day when we will be in our future home and in paradise, when we are free from the presence of sin and in the perfect presence of our Savior and our God, Jesus Christ. But Jesus, in his great high priestly prayer, did not pray that the Father would take us out of the world, but rather Jesus prayed that he would keep us from the evil one, that he would we would be sanctified in the truth of God. You see, God, with great purpose and intentionality, has ordained for you and I to be alive at this moment, in this world, and exactly where we are at. We think about the different things that we see on the news or in our newspapers today, and all these, there's just this absolute craziness that is going on in this world. And it's so easy to get disturbed, so easy to just you know, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, and then I, I, just, I just cannot deal with what's going on. But you need to remember something. I need to remember something. You know, God, did, if, if God wanted you to be alive in the early 20th century, when there was a, a sort of Christian consensus in this culture, in this country, where things weren't necessarily easy, they're obviously always trials and political things, but but generally speaking, the average person would have a 
more than high regard for the Bible and for Christianity and things like that. And you can just say, you know, I, I just wish I was in the 1950s, or at least we had a sense of morality and this type of thing. But if God wanted you to be alive back then, he, that's what would happen. God did not call you to be alive at that moment. With great purpose and with great intentionality, God has raised you up to be alive in the exact time, in the exact place you're at. So as you look at these different things <laughs> in the culture and, and, and just some of the absolute insanity that is going on, don't get discouraged and, and become sort of defeatist and say, this, I just can't take it, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. There's a sense in which that's true. This world views you as their enemy. You must view the world as your mission field. You must realize that where you have been placed in the stream of time was made intentionally. How can you, with your skill set, with your gifts, with your passions, where you live, the people that you can influence, how can you advance the kingdom of God? How can you advance the kingdom of God? And so we, we, we long for the day that God would, would, would take us from here, that God would, that we would be in an eternal paradise, that we would be free from the presence of sin. But right now, we are we are where we are at right now. And, and this, this is something that we must take very careful consideration And so here in scripture, we are being told, redeem the time for the days or evil. You see, we must not let time, which is so precious a thing as it is a fleeting thing, slip away from us. But we must grab a hold of it. We must buy back our time. We must clench tightly to it, not letting it go, that we may make the most proper and best use of our time while we still can due to the reality of the fact that the days in which we live are evil. Now the obvious question to ask is, well how does the reality of the evil of these days relate to me redeeming my time? Well to answer that question we must remember something which we realize more and more with age and that is the fact that time is something which, when lost, you can't get it back. When you lose your time, you cannot get it back. You know, some time ago, I had lost a particular pair of, of pliers that I really liked, really nice pair of pliers, and then I lost them. Did I have a meltdown? Did I freak out or, or any of these different things? No, my, my world did not end. Why would I simply just drive back to the hardware store and pick up another pair? And, and, but the thing is, time is not like that. Time is, is infinitely more valuable than any of these material things which we treasure so dearly. I, I mean, how many of us in this room, just be honest with yourself, give more careful attention or are more enthused with and inflamed with passion for your car or, or, or your money or these different things than you are with your time. Listen, you can get another car, make more money. You can, these material things, a dime a dozen. Your time, this moment that you're experiencing right now, when it's over, it will be gone. It will have slipped away from you. And you will be left to ask this question. Did I use that moment wisely? Did I use that moment as a Christian should? Did I utilize that moment in light of my intimate relationship with God? You see, that is the question. That is why time is so valuable. When we lose it, we can't get it back again. And that is the sobering reality that we all have to face. I, I've, I've lost time. I, I, I have wasted time in my life. And I can't buy that. 
I, I can't can't get it back again. It has it's gone. It has slipped through my fingers like the man who tried to grab a hold of a fistful of rain. We are all running out of time. The Bible says it is appointed once for a man to die, and then comes a judgment. Now, every moment that we experience on this earth is one moment closer to eternity. However long it has been since I began preaching this morning is time that we have all spent together that we will not get back. You know, if, if it's been, you know, a couple hours since you woke up this morning, that's just a couple hours closer to eternity. That is just a couple hours closer to when you will stand before God and you will give him an account for how you used your time. That's why the Apostle Paul says, redeem the time. Redeem the time because the days are evil. So many people who are living today because of the evil that exists in this world, because the days are evil, are squandering their lives. They, they are wasting their time. They are misusing their time. They are making a mockery of the precious gift of time that God has given to them. They are wasting their time. So many, and those who have neglected the time that they have had, and they have never used their time on earth to give their lives to Jesus Christ, coming to him by faith, they will then be given over to suffer the wrath of God, a just punishment for how they have used their time. And so the Apostle Paul, writing to the Ephesian church, writing to Christians, he, he, he needs to drive this point home. It's so important. It's so important for us all. He says, in light of the evil of the day, we must recognize that time is slipping away from all of us, that we should redeem it. We should buy back our time. We should make the most profitable use of time, the time that we have while we still can. Now, before we move on, I need to clarify what it is that Paul means by redeeming the time, by explaining to you what he does not mean by redeeming the time. Because one of the things that, as I said at the beginning of this message, you know, I mean, the Bible says that eternity is right upon all of our hearts. That the fear of death enslaves man from the time he was born. That, that's, those are not new covenant promises that apply only to Christians. Those are things that, that everyone is aware of. Everyone is aware of the fact that they're going to die one day. Everyone is aware of the fact that this time here on earth is short. And so you'll have, because of this, a lot of different opinions and philosophies and different ideas about how we should use our time. And, and, and to be honest with you, they're all wrong outside of the Christian worldview. Why is that? Well, wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So if, if the fear of the Lord, if, if, if a reference and a love and an understanding for God is not the very first foundational element of your thinking, it's going to be flawed. It's going to be flawed. And so if you're going to talk about some of these more worldly ways of thinking about time, and we're going to examine them in the light of Scripture. So, ju uh, just as I mentioned the last time that I was here with you all when I was preaching on holiness, you know, the Bible is crystal clear that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works, that it is the precious gift of God. And so I am not talking about using your time to win God's favor and earn salvation. That is utterly and completely impossible. And if you try to do that, you will fail. And I promise you, do not even attempt to do that. That would be a disastrous waste of your time. Now the second thing is, I am also not talking about filling up your time on earth with as much pleasure as possible. You see, that's what the pagans do. That's what people with no hope do. You see, pleasure 
is, is almost as fleeting a thing as time is. You know, that thing which makes your heart race now and, and it just inflames you and, and, and makes your heart race and makes you feel good right now will be gone in a matter of seconds. It will be gone in a matter of seconds. And what will you have to show for if you've lived your life in pursuit of pleasure? Do not waste your time making an idol of pleasure. Now the third thing uh, is I also do not mean using your time for worldly gain. For the life of me, I do not understand why so many Christians make such a big deal about money, financial gain, success, all these different things, or you know, measuring our success and worldly gain. There, there are people who, you know, they sure do pay a lot of attention to how they use their time. You know, they, they don't waste it away on the couch. They're not even wasting away their time uh, pursuing pleasure. I mean, these there are people who are up at the crack of dawn every morning and they don't crawl back into bed until late into the evening. And, you know, they got it all. They, they have everything that the world tells you means they're successful. These people have lots of money. They got the big house. They got the fast cars, the fancy vacation. They, they got it all. That, but here's what happens. Every single one of them, without fail, what happens? Spend your life working. You spend your life trying to be successful. The wolf's at the door. You're, you're, you're chasing, you're chasing, you're chasing that, that, that sack of money. And then, and then you look and you say, I got it. I, I've made it. And we talk about the retirement age being the golden years when I can just spend the rest of my life on easy street, you know, I, I got all, all these different things. What's going to happen? They're going to die one day. They're going to die one day. And the government and the banks, they're going to come in because we have a death tax in this country. They're going to come in and they're going to take half of all that they had. And, and because they never paid a nickel's worth of attention to Jesus Christ, they will perish from hell for eternity. And I don't I don't say that flippantly. That's a serious, serious thing. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. My friends, do not measure the value of your life in terms of how deep your pockets are. That, that is a stupid way for you to live. That is a foolish way for you to live. And Paul's telling us here to walk not as the unwise, but as the wise. Fear of the Lord is the foundation for your thinking. Then your worldview and your mindset will not be to simply amass a fat stack of treasure. Because that will perish. That will perish. And yet, so many people, even in the church, have made this idol of financial gain, this idol of financial success. We have the prosperity preachers, the Guys with the big smile, shiny white teeth on TV who sow a seed in my ministry, you reap a harvest. Those men are, are evil, yes. But the only reason they are successful is because the people listening to them have such a lust and a craving for financial gains that that kind of false teaching is able to be successful. And they are able to be on the top uh, bestsellers list of Christian books in this country. And so... Money, in light of eternity, it's important. Money, money. Uh, we are to be good stewards of our money, obviously. But in the end, really, it's nothing. Let me ask you something. Who is making a better use of their time? The hellbound person who spends all of their time and energy at work, or the single mother who, you know, maybe she. And able to buy kids all the things we'd like to buy them. But what does she do? She sits down with her child. She holds her child and, and, and tells her child about Jesus Christ. I tell you, that was a far more profitable use of her time than if she was picking up an extra shift to buy more Christmas presents. You know, did not Solomon amass great riches in this life? Well, what did he find them to be but vanity, vanity, the chasing after wind? 
hopefully I have explained to you what this verse is not talking about. The point of this verse here in Ephesians is that we would recognize our lives with a purpose. And we should, having been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, use our lives to glorify God as much as we can. The Puritan Thomas Manton has some powerfully striking words in this point. He says, Time and life was given us for some end and purpose. Every man hath his work where to glorify God. Men are not made to fill up the number of things in the world as the stones, nor to grow bulky and increase in stature as plants and trees, nor to taste bodily pleasures without remorse as the beasts. We have higher faculties of reason and consciousness to foresee the end and choose the means, and diligently by those means to pursue after the end. Our end, man says, is to glorify God and enjoy Him. The means are the duties of our general and particular callings, and we must be diligent in both. Beloved, if you're a Christian, if your chief purpose, your chief duty, is to live to the glory of God Almighty and enjoy Him forever, we have our work cut out for us. You see, the Christian ought to understand that the purpose for this life we live now here on earth is not to be lived for its own sake. The Bible teaches that because of the fact that there is life after death, how we spend the life we currently have has eternal value, has eternal consequences. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the fact that all the work we do in our lives will be judged by God and will be tested with fire. It will be determined on that day whether we have labored with silver, gold, and precious stones, or if we've labored with wood, hay, and straw, which will be burned up and passed away, even if we ourselves are saved. Christian, we must take great heed as to how we live our lives. Do you not know that every second that's been given to you, God has graciously given to you, has eternal value. Do not waste it. How many people alive right now are going to spend the rest of this year sitting on the same couch, watching the same TV show, spending all of their time consumed with the same stupid, silly, foolish, worthless things that do not matter. I tell you, those people are not laboring with silver, gold, and precious stones. I don't even think their labor could be compared with the wood, hay, and straw, to be honest with you. Christian, you are not called to waste your life, no matter what the people around you are doing. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. My brothers and sisters, if indeed you be in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have been by His blood and the grace of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit, been adopted into the family of God, then rejoice. Rejoice for the wonderful blessing that God has given you in salvation. But I just remember that statement from Jesus in John chapter 7. He says, Come unto me. Come unto me, all ye who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. What's the very next verse say? He says, And whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You see, the grace of God and the blessings that we have in salvation and in our Christian lives, not to remain in here. They are not to remain in here. You know, I, I like to talk about often, you know, theology of the heart, that our knowledge of, of Scripture, when it enters into our mind, it seep down into our hearts. Jesus says, out of our hearts will flow rivers of living water. Now, he's not talking about the organ in my chest that pumps blood. He's talking about the heart as the seat of my affection. The Greek word literally means my innermost being. Out of my innermost being should flow rivers of living water. Why? Because that water which Christ has given to me is not, not just to stay here. I'm supposed to do something with it. It's supposed to get out. 
I'm supposed to redeem the time because the days are evil. I'm supposed to work while it is light. For I know that darkness is coming when I will not have the opportunity to do that work anymore. I only got so much time to, to influence the people in my life. So I only have so much time to do as much work and as much labor as I can, laboring for the kingdom of God. I know one day he will call me home and, and that will be it. I only got so much time and so do you. You only have so much time to do the things that you've been called to do. And, and so let us understand that we have not been called just to live carnal lives, just to live natural lives, just to live worldly lives. Christian, you have been called to a higher purpose, every single one of you. Do not think for a moment that just because you're not up here preaching or one of these different things that you're somehow a lesser saint in the kingdom of God. That is not true. For the same God who made me and died for me died for you. Your life has value. Your life has purpose. There has been with great intentionality and purpose by God's divine and immutable eternal decree in placing you where you are right now. He has given you uh, different gifts according to his will. He is empowering you to do something. And I'm not talking about following your dreams or all these carnal worldly things. And if you're a Christian, you understand that's not what I mean. I'm talking about living for him. Living for him. You have been called to live for that which is worth more than all the gold and all the riches in the world. You have been appointed to the task of living for the glory of God. And what a mighty calling that is. Let that excite you. Let that invigorate you. Let that put some life in your bones, some thrill in your soul. We must be aware. We only have so much time until our opportunities to live for God are taken away from us. The great American theologian Jonathan Edwards says this, he says, Time is so short, and the work which we have to do in it is so great, that we have none of it to spare. The work which we have to do to prepare for eternity must be done in time, or it never can be done. And it is found to be a work of great difficulty and labor, and therefore that for which time is the more vital. I have said that Paul in Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 16 speaks of you know, time with a purpose. Well, because time has a purpose, we must redeem it while we still have the opportunity to do so. As Edward just pointed out there, if we're going to do anything in our lives, it must be done in time. And so we must view time as a talent which God has given us. You remember Jesus' parable of the talents? There were the men who took that talent and they multiplied it and they did different things, and there was the one who Fearing his master, he buried it, and, and, and when eventually his master came, he said, Master, here it is. I, I for, for fear, I am, uh, you know, I don't want to risk losing it, I don't want to risk wasting it, so here I am. Great condemnation was brought upon that man. Time has been given to you. Use it. Use it. I, I, you remember the Apostle James? In his epistle, he says, What is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Now, what's so scary about my message this morning, what's so scary about the things that I've been saying, is that they are true. Most people do not realize it until it's too late. How many people think thoughts like, well, you know, I'll start living for Christ when I get out of school, or you know, when I'm married or when I have children, or this is the worst one, you know, I'll just worry about that whole heaven and hell, God thing, you know, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll just I'll take care of them. You know, I remember Jesus' parable of, of the rich fool who, when he had an excess of crops, decided to build bigger barns, bigger storehouses, planning on a long and happy, luxurious, easy life. God said that to that man, fool, this night your soul is required of you. You see, none of us get to determine or control how much time we have. We do get to decide what we do with it. We do get to decide how we spend our time. So, 
as I've tried to emphasize in this message, you know, there's there's quite a lot of wisdom that can be gleaned from dead men, particularly dead godly preachers. And as we, you know, as, as we look back on the past, it, it gives us a sense of perspective. As we think about those who have come before us, knowing that, you know, you know I, I was sharing with some of you this morning about my great-grandfather, who, he, he was a preacher down at the Clifton Tabernacle in Clifton, West Virginia, and when he was in his mid-50s, he had diabetes, and he's at this doctor's appointment, and the doctor says to him, he says, Lester, you don't do something about this, you're going to die. And he, and he basically said, well, you know, I can't wait to meet Jesus who squeezes my hand and he's dead right there. Now, how was he able to do that? Well, I believe that my great-grandfather, that moment, he had looked at his life and he said what the Apostle Paul said, you know, I've, I've run my race, I've kept the faith, I've fought the good fight. And, and there he was able to go with ease. And I know that unless the Lord should return, one day I may, I, I will go the same way. I will preach my last sermon, I will I will say my, my last words, I'll do my last things, and they'll close the casket, bring me the ground, throw dirt over it. That's it's coming. It's coming for me. It's coming for you too. So we think about that. That should really just give us a sense of perspective, a sense of the value of the moment, a sense of the preciousness of time. You know, Jonathan Edwards wrote these great uh, his resolutions when he was about 19 or so. And uh, one of them, he says, I am resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. And another one of his resolutions, he, he said, I am resolved to spend uh, as much time as I possibly can thinking about my own mortality, thinking about my own death. Now, Jonathan Edwards was not talking about looking at his own death in some macabre sense, like some kind of you know heavy metal band dressing all black and just because it's something that looks cool or anything like that. No, he's talking about grappling with the reality that time was escaping from his fingers. And sure enough, Jonathan Edwards' his body is in the ground right now. He did all the work that he was able to do with that time. And God will render his judgment accordingly, whether Edwards used that time as properly as he could or not. But my concern should be not looking at other people and, and, and pointing my finger at them and thinking, you know, what God's going to do with them, or, you know, this, you know, great pastor, great theologian, or this other person. I mean, they just squandered it, just wasted away. What, my, what should happen in my heart and in my conscience right now is I should look at this and go, really? I'm going to die one day. I'm going to die. That, that gives me perspective. It makes me think about things. It makes me lament over the time that I've wasted. I, I mean, how much time do I spend on things that don't matter? How much time do we spend sinning? How much time just gets wasted away from all of us? That... that that brings me great sorrow to know that I, at this point in my life, have not served the Lord as greatly as I could have. But we, we've all heard the quote before, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? You know, it's like God, he doesn't save us from where we would like to have been saved from. He saves us from where we are at. I, you know, I would thinking about some of the different struggles and things in our lives, we, we would just love to say, you know, why did it happen this way? Why did it happen that way? Why did parents get divorced? Why did brother fall into drug addiction? Why did all these different things happen? Whatever it is that you've experienced in your life, and, and you can just get so frustrated and say, why you know, wasn't it neater? Why wasn't it cleaner? Guess what? God did not save you from where you would want to have been. He saved you from that. 
He saved you from your experiences. He, he, he has pulled you out of where you come from. And, and so just, just rejoice knowing that he is, is, done, is doing right. And so don't lament over your past, but look at where you are right now. You see, the Christian life is not about where I've come from. It's about where am I right now? Where am I right now? That should be our mindset when we think about this. <clears throat> You know, knowing the fact that it's coming, eternity's coming, realizing time is a, a precious talent, I, I should be resolved to, with as much heart, as much of my soul, my mind, and strength, live for the glory of God as much as I can while I still can. And, and, and if that's your mindset, I can promise you this, that doing so is only going to lead to a greater devotion for God. It will give you a more vibrant faith. It will give you a stronger, a deeper love for Jesus Christ, and all of which is only going to make us more contented and more assured Christians. And on our deathbeds, there will be no sting. There will be no fear. But we will be able to say with Paul, who, when he writes to Timothy, knowing that his time is coming, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I just want to leave, leave you with one last bit of wisdom. John Flavel, great Puritan preacher and author, he said this. He said, the bed, referring to the deathbed, the bed is sweeter to none than the hard labor, and the grave comfortable to none Laborious Christian. Let's join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father God, we just are so sorry. We are so repentant. We are so broken over how we've misused our time, over how we've squandered our time. Dear God, it brings great sorrow for us to realize that. But God, we trust in you. We put our trust not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And Father, we just pray that by your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be strengthened, we would be empowered from this moment on to live for your glory, to do great and mighty works for your kingdom, to which we have been called. Father God, let the reality of eternity and a coming judgment. Make all of, cause all of us to examine our own hearts to see whether or not we are truly in the faith. Father, I pray that there are any people here this morning who have not yet come to you by faith, that by your sovereign grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would draw them unto your Son, to your Lord. Glorify yourself in their salvation. Glorify yourself in their redemption. In Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you.